0: Support for Industry Focus comes from Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. When it comes to the big decision of choosing a mortgage lender, work with one that has your best interests in mind. Use Rocket Mortgage for a transparent, trustworthy home loan process that's completely online at quickenloans.com. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. I'm your host, Vincent Shen. and It is Tuesday, January 24th. For today, we'll be talking about a recently announced $50 billion deal that will create a truly dominant entity in the eyewear industry. And If we still have a little bit of time afterwards, we'll preview some upcoming earnings in the consumer and retail sector. Joining me via Skype to cover these topics is none other than SeniorFool.com contributor, Asit Sharma. How's it going, bud?
1: It's going well, Vince. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing very well. I'm very excited about our topics for today. This is really a crazy deal. And also to have you on, uh, I think it's our first show together for 2017, right?
1: It is. And hey, I'd like to follow up really quickly with something um, that we talked about at our year end look back. um, And that is, we were talking about New Year's resolutions. So, listeners, I have a new motto for this year. Uh, You may know this, it's uh, attributed to Horace. Never a day without a line. So, for you writers out there, um, if you want to write, write every day. And if you have a hobby, foreign language, whatever it is, your investments you want to improve, make sure you get at least one touch every day and uh, we'll make it together.
0: So, all right. Well, thanks a lot, Asit, for sharing that. Is that part of your resolutions for 2017? I'm not sure if you made any. That's the only one I have that's so still standing, man. Okay. Got it. Got it. Actually, you. Real quick. Uh, for me? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we had an episode about this uh, Sarah who's uh, you know on the editorial team with me uh, for technology and consumer goods. We covered you know our goals and aspirations I guess for 2017 And for me it's just a little bit of decluttering. And organizing my life in not just my living space, but then hopefully moving on from that point to more financial stuff, uh, things with family, uh, kind of taking a step by step approach with it. But overall, I would say the theme one word, decluttering.
1: <laughs> awesome.
0: So uh, the big uh, topic for today is the recent deal announced between Luxatica and Essilor. So this $50 billion deal is with two companies. That, uh, in my opinion, very much lead their respective spaces within the world of eyewear. And I said, please bear with me. I'm gonna try and set the stage here for these two companies who they are. And then I'll let you dive into some specifics behind the deal. But just so our listeners who might not be as familiar with these names, we don't cover them as often on this show. Uh, just to, and they're based in Europe, uh, so they can get uh, our listeners can get a good idea of the scale of their operations, which I think is very important and how they will come together. So the first is Essilor, their history and investor overview. overview describes a company based in France, has a nearly 170 year history, as Essel, one of the two companies that merged to form the current company, was originally founded in 1849. has about 60,000 employees in over 60 countries, uh, products distributed to to over 100 countries, 32 production plants, 490 prescription labs, 16 distribution centers. Uh, I think all in all, what you need to know is they make over 500 million lenses annually. Uh, Their products get distributed through eye care professionals, online channels, and it is a leader in its space, has 40% market share for prescription lenses, 15% market share for both sunglasses and reading glasses, and that does not even include some of the optical equipment and instruments that they also produce. Um, and if, for those of you listening who do have prescription lenses, you might recognize some of the names in their portfolio. Uh, includes transitions and Verilux, and the company trades on the Euronext exchange with about a 25 billion dollar market cap and 7.7 billion dollars of revenue for the trailing 12 months. And then Lixotica, which is the other company. Uh, that is in this transaction. Again, this is one that I've spoken to a lot of people to uh, a lot of people about this company. Mostly as consumers, they usually don't know it. But then, when I mention some of their in-house brands and the many others that they license with, uh, people know exactly who I'm talking about. So Luxotic is based in Italy, founded in 1961. By Leonardo Del Vecchio, who's now the second richest man in Italy. He's a majority shareholder in the company with an approximately sixty-two percent ownership stake through his family holding company called Delfin. Uh, Luxottica like has seventy-nine thousand employees. They ma- their manufacturing operations are based in Italy, China, U.S., Brazil, and India, and their home country of Italy makes up just over forty percent of that output. Uh, 18 distribution centers give the company a network that covers more than 150 countries. They also have, besides producing these uh, glasses, they have a retail network of 7,400 stores of chains that I think many of you recognize, including LensCrafters, Pearl Vision, Sunglass Hut, and they're also behind iMed, which is a major U.S. vision benefits provider in the U.S. and their brand portfolio. It includes Ray-Ban, Oakley, Oliver Peoples, and then they license uh, major brands like Burberry, Chanel, DKNY, uh, Ralph Lauren. So Luxottica is the largest eyewear company in the world. Uh, its market cap is about 26 billion dollars, with 9.9 billion dollars of revenue for the trailing 12 months. Once they come together, they will uh, still very much be the largest eyewear company in the world. But uh, these two companies are going to come together. I think their new headquarters is going to be based in Paris. Um, but what else? Uh, what is? What else do you think our listeners need to know about the deal?
1: So the first thing that um, our listeners need to know about this deal is: is it a complementary deal, or are these companies just overlapping each other? Mm-hmm. Many times when two giants merge, uh, Wall Street loves it initially. There's a pop in both stocks, and that certainly was the case here. Um, I think that uh, S. Lore popped. About 13% um, the day this deal was announced, which was last Monday, and Luxottica shares uh, popped about 8%. So that's the initial excitement that manifests itself when two really big companies announce that they're they're going to merge operations. Mm-hmm. But longer term, this can uh, work to the disadvantage uh, of both companies if you merge up and you start to dominate an industry so much. Um, the statistics which uh, pertain to growth, you inform those statistics, so growing faster than the industry becomes difficult when you are the industry. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Yeah, so what's different about this deal is that these are two very complementary products, and um, Essilor, as a lens maker, sees itself very much as a health vision company. And oddly enough, Luxottica, although we know them for brands like Oakley and Ray-Ban, they see themselves also as a health vision company. Uh, When you think about sunglasses, they provide uh, protection against UV light, and also a new phenomenon, newer phenomenon, that's blue light, that's the light from all our devices, especially at night, which tends to deteriorate um, our eyesight and overall health quality. So these companies see themselves as merging up as a giant health vision company. And I think that's important because uh, they will be able together to co-market products, uh, and they also have some synergies in their supply chains. So that's the first thing that you want to answer when you look at a merger like this: is this just pulling a lot of assets together that won't grow faster than the industry in the long run, or does this have the potential uh, for gains down the road? And this still certainly does.
0: Mm-hmm. I think. Uh, what you described in terms of the, um, you know, what might be considered the mission statement for these two companies, health vision companies, is really important. Um, Long term, I think the combined entity, which is going to be named Esselor Luxatica, it's a very strong position, I think, to benefit from some global tailwinds around uh, uh, healthcare for your vision, which includes, you know, there's an aging population, uh, there's growing needs for eyewear and health. Of your uh, uh, of your vision in emerging markets, and uh, I think both companies have been touting this number with estimate. they basically an estimate that two point five billion people worldwide still grapple grapple with vision problems of some kind, and their products, be it the lenses, or the gla- or the sunglasses, or whatever it is, can come together and help address this issue. Certainly, a huge market, and. Uh, Overall, uh, for this combined entity, it will generate over half of its revenue in the U.S., uh, with Europe accounting for about one quarter, and then Africa, Asia, and the Middle East making up the remainder. So, definitely uh, a lot of opportunities, I think, for the company, not only in its more uh, entrenched markets like the U.S., but in emerging markets as well.
1: That's true. And uh, what's really interesting in terms of how that market looks on paper uh, Luxotica has great brand presence in the U.S. and in Europe uh, as a maker of frames, so if you take the demographics that you were talking about, Vince, as people age in developed countries, they also have that disposable income to buy high-end frames and sort of vanity frames really. Um, Essilor is very well placed in emerging markets where there's a growing need Uh, for people just to have corrective lenses, corrective vision. And in places like the Middle East and Africa, uh, Asia, that's really a limitless market for this combined company, uh, which is something that I'm very excited about when you look at them together. Um, Some of the other things about this deal which are attractive from a financial standpoint are just the synergies involved. Since they don't have a lot of overlap, the companies can really Uh, Dip into each other's strengths. And I think they're shooting for a combined 400 to 600 million euros annually of cost savings. Now, that translates to about uh, 430 uh, to 640 million dollars per year on an annual run rate of about 16 billion dollars. So it's quite a savings just in the near term. Uh, Another thing from a financial standpoint, which I really love is that the um, combined EBITDA of this company, that is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization, is going to be about $3.7 billion on that run rate that I was just speaking of. You may wonder, well, is this uh, EBITDA supported by a lot of debt? Oftentimes, the reason big companies merge is they are very leveraged on their balance sheet, so when you combine, uh, then you have the ability to refinance but neither one of these companies is that leveraged. Uh, In fact, their uh, combined pro forma balance sheet is gonna show a um, net debt to EBITDA ratio of under one time. So what that means is, if you take uh, the relationship between debt on the books and the earnings in one year, they're about equal. And that's a great position to be in. So another reason to really be interested in this combined company. I do have one complaint, though. I don't like this name. (laughs) You know, that is really hard to pronounce. Um, But I'll return to that. Let's talk about uh, some risks that we might see in the deal. Do you want me to jump in with Juan Vince, or or do you want to grab the first risk that you see? All
0: right. So I I do want to cover some risks and also some uh, other information around the deal itself and what the combined entity will look like in terms of its management structure. Um, But I want to give a shout out to Rocket Mortgage. by Quicken Loans for supporting industry focus. When it comes to the big decision of choosing a mortgage lender, it's important to work with someone you can trust and who has your best interests in mind. With Rocket Mortgage, you'll get a transparent, online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. Don't waste time searching through stacks of paperwork. With Rocket Mortgage, you can securely share your financial info to get a mortgage approval in minutes. You can even adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time to make sure you get the mortgage solution that's right for you. Whether you're looking to buy a home or refinance your existing mortgage, you can lift the burden of getting a home loan with Rockin' Mortgage. Skip the bank, skip the waiting, and go completely online at quickenloans.com fool. Equal housing lender, licensed in all fifty states, NMLS consumeraccess.org number three zero three zero. Thanks again to Rock and Mortgage by Quick and Loans for supporting the show. All right, so before I get to the risks, um, which we can use, which we can have as some of our takeaways for this uh, for this topic. Uh, I think it's important to note that uh, for the deal itself, uh, you know, with the combined entity, you've mentioned some of the numbers behind it: 140,000 employees, annual revenue of over 16 billion dollars, EBITDA of nearly four billion dollars. Um, the name, which you are not quite happy with, I think. Uh, makes sense in this case, uh, since a lot of people are considering this a merger of equals. And even the management structure reflects that, Delvecchio will serve as Executive Chairman and CEO of the company, while Essilor CEO uh, Hubert Segnier will hold the total uh, the title of Executive Vice Chairman and Deputy CEO of the new entity, and they're supposed to have equal powers. Uh, so how that will work in terms of this kind of co CEO co leader structure, uh, we'll see. Uh, I think some people have some. Uh, Concerns about that, but the board itself, I think, will have 16 members that will also see an equal split of nominations from the two companies, and this is an all-share deal. So, Luxottica shareholders will exchange their holdings. Uh, for SLR shares based on a ratio of 0.461 SLR shares per one Luxottica share. And of course, Dalvecchio, uh, his majority stake in Luxottica, which is about 62%, that will need to go first and then followed by the remaining outstanding shares at the same exchange ratio. And uh, once the deal closes, Delvecchio will own uh, between 31% and 38% of the new entity and the deal is expected to close by the end of the year, of course, and this will seg nicely into our risk factors, uh, being a cross-border deal uh, between Italy and France, and also such a large deal, despite the fact that you could say that you know one focuses on frames, one focuses on lenses, two parts, or two very distinct uh, parts of the supply chain, that industry, there'll still be significant scrutiny just with the size, and the fact that they have kind of, in recent years, been encroaching a little bit into each other's... Uh, uh, expertise area i guess so uh in terms of other risks though or just other things that uh, i guess give you pause about the deal what do you have in mind uh, on your mind, asset
1: um well i think for me that split of this down the middle merger of equals structure uh, it bothers me a little bit um, and i think i want to point out one more thing uh, give an excellent rundown of the the deal specifics. Delvecchio's voting interest, I believe, is going to be limited to 31%. He can buy up to 38% of the shares, but they've taken a lot of care to make sure that both parties come to the table and are just dead equal. The board arrangement, this uh, eight board members for each company is one example. The name, so I'll return to that. uh, (laughs) SLR Luxottica, because neither side obviously really wants to give up their traditional name, and both are very long-lived companies. Mm -hmm. These types of deals go great when uh, the money is 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 well is plenty and uh, revenues are increasing. As we've seen in the U.S., when things start to go downhill, Chipotle was a much example discussed example from last year, uh, as was Whole Foods. These types of equal arrangements in these cases we're talking about uh, dual CEO structures. Yes, uh, but uh, in terms of board structures as well, the same pertains. When things start to go south, revenues decrease or uh, profits decline, then two sides, which are split down the middle, have a hard time getting to the the difficult decisions, and so that always bothers me a little bit. Uh, The other risk, which isn't probably as evident that that leaps out to me though, is that culturally these are slightly different companies. Eslor is more of a scientific-leaning company in that it does high-end ophthalmic lenses. And Luxottica, which I think you hinted at, Vince, is sort of moving into that territory itself. Uh, But Luxottica is more of a brand company, uh, more of a vanity company. Uh, Although, yes, its uh, eyeglasses are uh, vision-centric, health-centric. They really have made their margin on upscale brands, especially in the U.S. and Europe. So there's slightly different cultures here. I do like the way that uh, the press releases have gone. They seem both to be rallying around this point of vision healthcare companies. But still, there's just a little bit of cultural difference, uh, again, with the the traditional Franco Italian, um, the history between those two companies, which sometimes the countries, which is sometimes uh, very friendly and and has sometimes been antagonistic, uh, may also come into play here and there. But we see that a lot in the EU.
0: Yeah, and on that note, uh, I think it should be noted that at Luxottica, you know, with Del Vecchio uh, currently heading up, the, uh, you know, the management team there, you know, he had actually this is actually after stepping back, kind of into the uh, more active executive role uh, in 2014. Um, you know, as chairman, he was looking for a CEO. He's gone through three in the. Past two years or so, and there was definitely a lot of investor concern about what the succession plan is going to look like. Uh, Davalchio had stated that he does not want anybody from his family to take over, uh, you know, this leadership position at the company. So, uh, figuring out that succession plan, what happens with, uh, you know, his holdings and his heirs, was definitely a point of concern with investors for De Vecchio himself and this seemed like a this deal with Essilor seemed like a very clean tidy way of having that come together especially with the co-CEO structure or the dual CEO structure so uh just an interesting uh uh, point there, and the fact that you know this is not the the first time these companies had considered doing such a deal. Uh, there were in negotiations back in 2013. I think that fell through due to some governance structure, uh, governance issues and concerns. But now uh, able to tie up with the board structure that we described, with the uh, leadership structure that we described, and uh, yeah, overall I think. This is definitely an example as you as you've mentioned, asset of a deal where it's really easy to imagine the benefits of the two companies coming together, bringing together those frames and lenses under one roof. And uh, you know, overall, I think both stocks recently have actually seen some downward pressure. It definitely saw a bump uh, as you described after the announcement of the deal, but. Uh, I think together, and with both of their very uh, you know well-known and revered uh, operations within the industry, bringing those together will be very interesting to watch going forward. Any other takeaways from you uh, before we move on?
1: Yeah, one brief last point uh, on Delvecchio, which you were talking about. He's now 81 years old, and really comes out of this tradition of publicly traded companies in Europe that have a strong family presence, and very strong-willed, as you say, so this dual CEO structure is probably a good thing, and uh, Luxottica shareholders can breathe a little sigh of relief. Vince, if he calls you up asking you to run the combined company, turn it down, man. You'll be back at the Motley Fool after like two months. <laughs> not because you're not capable, but he's been going through CEOs see- at a, a, quite a good clip.
0: Yep. <laughs> Stay with us. And so, uh, again, the deal's expected to close by the end of this year. And I should note that. Uh, uh, with this, uh, you know, this part of the discussion around management Davicchio, he is uh, expected to hold his position with the new entity for about three years, and then he will step down unless shareholders essentially vote to keep him. But at that point, he will be, uh, you know, a pretty ripe old eighty-four. So uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know. How the integration works out, and uh, you know what opportunities this massive company will pursue once the deal closes. Uh, but I do want to cover at least uh, as we run out into our f- last few minutes here, at least one bit of an earnings preview uh, coming this week. As for a company that we're all familiar with, and that's Starbucks. So they're releasing their fiscal 2017 first quarter re- first quarter results after the close on Thursday. Asa, what you will you be watching and looking for in the report?
1: Well, Vince, um, I spend a lot of my uh, working hours during the year looking at Starbucks and its component parts. I know you do as well. And I know many of our listeners spend a lot of time trying to analyze this company as well because they're invested. So rather than look at any one piece, what I'm really interested in for this earnings report are two numbers 5% and 10%. So 5%, I'd like to see the US comparable sales. Uh, run again above 5%, which has been a benchmark for Starbucks for uh, many, many quarters, and they sort of stumbled on that last year. And out of the last three quarters, I think they've only hit that benchmark one time. So, I'd love to see that number come back above 5%. The other number that I'm looking at is 10% overall revenue growth. Taken together, these two numbers are part of uh, Starbucks' structural uh, framework of, the, the, of their business model. So, when you have one without the other, it's a signal that perhaps the company is slowing down a bit. This is going to be the first quarter of their fiscal 2017 year, and it includes the very busy holiday season. It's traditionally a strong quarter for Starbucks. So I want to see these two numbers uh, pop above their benchmarks, and from there, we'll work backward to the component parts. How about you?
0: Uh, yeah, I think that. Those two numbers that you mentioned are are really uh, really key. And keep in mind that the company uh, has very ambitious plans over the next five years, uh, including an expansion of twelve thousand locations. So the company would have a total network, I think, approaching forty thousand stores. Uh, Part of their goals also uh, in financials is to deliver 10% annual sales growth. So, one of those two numbers that you had mentioned, and then annual EPS growth of 15% to 20%. But I I think something else in terms of recent news for this company that a lot of people have been watching is. the the fact that Howard Schultz will be stepping away from the CEO position this spring. Uh, how do you feel uh, how did you feel when you heard that news? Any concerns there? or do you think that this is a well-oiled machine situation? Uh, the CEO o. Johnson stepping in. He's already managing the day-to-day operations as it is. Uh, what do you think?
1: I think it's a, a glass. I hate to use a tired metaphor. And some metaphors, though, we just have to pull them out and beat them back to death. I think it is a glass-half-full, half-empty situation. Uh, Howard Schultz has built a machine in in terms of what this company can produce in its earnings per share every quarter. It's a very structuralized company. He's implemented many technological changes, and he's hired great people uh, in the management team. But what we lose with Howard Schultz moving more towards a brand type of position with Starbucks and out of the CEO chair is that strong sense of vision. The idea to take big bets and go on knowledge, instinct, data, and jump into a market or jump into a technology. We saw with Steve Jobs that Apple hasn't been the same company since he's left, although on an execution basis they're still very strong. And The glass being half full here for me is to see if Kevin Johnson, who is actually not unlike Tim Cook, an operations guy, if he can bring his really good operational, executional ability and build his own layer of vision to keep pushing the company, let's remember Starbucks is no longer uh, a small company. It's challenging McDonald's as the biggest sort of quick service player on the block. So to keep growing, it needs these two things. It can stumble on execution, but it needs vision. And we saw Howard Schultz bring in the whole idea of premiumization in its roastery concept and just moving all of us who are dedicated Starbucks fans up this value chain of coffee and raising the bar on what your average person is drinking. So uh, I think prospects are good for Starbucks, but I want to see some ideation, to use a fancy word, I want to see some innovation coming pretty quickly from Kem Johnson. Yeah. How about you?
0: Uh, I I think it is really important, uh, and it's reassuring at least to see that Howard Schultz is uh, you know maintaining his presence within the company, more as a culture and brand ambassador, sure, but still uh, still there. And I think he will be. You know, equally nervous, frankly, about to transition and how things go in the coming years. You know, having had this experience, what was it, like 10, 15 years ago, and having to come back, hopefully avoiding that this time, of course. But what you mentioned, I I think uh, we should give the CEO or we should give Johnson a chance, uh, see how things turn out. But He's being handed the reins to a very effective, profitable, and growing machine. Uh, you know, it has a five-year plan already laid out. Uh, so you know, the blueprint's there. It's and it comes down to the execution. I definitely think you know the current CEO, is somebody who can uh, drive that through. So uh, thank you very much, Asit, uh, for joining me today. Uh, it was great to have you on, and I look forward to, to seeing you in the coming weeks. Uh, but that wraps up our discussion. You can reach out to us and the rest of the industry focus crew via Twitter at MF focus, or send us any questions via email to industryfocus at fool.com. And don't forget to check out www.fool.com slash podcast for our other awesome shows. People in the program may own companies discussed in the show and the Molly Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear during the program. Thanks for listening and fool on.